Good morning, it's Monday 20th of July 2020, it's Jim and it's the world of bonds. Last week we had a double parter about the, the deficit myth by Stephanie Kelton, the book about modern money theory, about the idea that you can print money to cope with additional government spending and in fact you should be doing that at a time like this. Um, it was a two-parter. The second part looked at um, some of the criticisms of modern money theory and uh, the deficit myth book. Uh, but definitely the zeitgeist is in favour of this meme, the idea that um, this will be the way forward for governments who get themselves in difficulty from now on. And just to give you some evidence for that, uh, front page of The Spectator a week ago, the magic money tree, picture of a tree with money coming off it and uh, people looking up at it. Um, this week, Money Week, um, the title is once again the Magic Money Tree. A picture of uh, Rishi and Boris underneath looking up again at trees with pound notes hanging off them. So this is very much um, a live conversation and something that's um, getting everyone very excited and a little bit scared at the moment. And as we'll see in a minute, inflation expectations have risen a little bit lately. So let's talk about markets. It was a risk on week last week. Uh, not a lot going on in government bonds, but towards the end of the week, they couldn't resist the grinding tighter in credit and equities. And so we're a little bit weaker. US 10 years at 62 basis points, JGBs at two. Uh, the gilt having been down at a record low earlier in the week, finished at 16 basis points and bunds at minus 45. Investment grade credit in the US at 135 as a spread over government bonds. And the big outperformer in, in the world of bonds last week was high yield down at 586 basis points, uh, probably about 30 tighter or something like that. In currencies, it was another week where the dollar weakened substantially and uh, the euro is strengthening as a result of that. Um, it is day four of the euro talks going on at the moment. Uh, there's a 750 billion euro fund proposed and the, there is growing talk today that after deadlock over the weekend we are getting near to the release of um, over half of that as a grant rather than a loan and that kind of would make Italy and uh, the southern European countries happy um, and the Netherlands and the northern European countries less happy but well, you know it does look like the deadlock appears to be ending somewhat. I said I'd talk about inflation break-evens well if you remember in March, the five-year US break-even inflation rate, that's the, the rate of inflation that the market is pricing in on average over the next five years, as worked out by looking at the yield of ordinary treasuries and the yield of inflation-protected treasuries, or TIPS. And back in March, at its lows, that was pricing in just 0.18% of inflation per year for the next five years. Well, now that's pricing in 1.35% inflation. So almost back to where we were before the pandemic arrived. In Europe, we've gone from just above zero up to 0.45. Uh, UK is, is still pretty much back, back at the March lows, so it hasn't moved anything like as much as the US, um, partly because it's already relatively high. So um, that break-even rate is 2.5%. That's on an RPI basis, so arguably you might be able to take 1% off and get down to one and a half percent or something like that so still higher than the us and europe but the big move has been in the united states where that break-even rate has gone up from below 0.2 getting on towards 1.4 percent the other big move in in the us bond market was the 30-year mortgage rate 
we ended up with a, a, an all-time um, low 30-year mortgage rate for people wanting to buy a house in the States. Remember, most of their mortgages are long-dated and fixed rate, and that fell below 3% for the first time in history. Right, the thing I'm going to focus on very quickly today is um, a paper from a uh, Bank of England MPC member, Tenreo, um, and one of the charts in there, she looked at um, CPI in periods after pandemic. So looking at the Black Death, the various London plagues that we had in the uh, 1600s, um, looking at the cholera epidemics of the 1800s, and then three flu pandemics, you know, the first at the end of the 19th century and going on towards the 1950s flu, flu pandemic. Um, and the conclusion of that, as you probably would guess, is that pandemics are usually deflationary. So, you know, there's been the, the debate whether coming out of this will be an inflationary episode or a deflationary episode. Well, history tells us they're probably deflationary. Now, Dario Perkins, who is on Twitter as at Dario Perkins, um, an economist and strategist, has, has written some good stuff on this as well and looked at papers that suggest that pandemics, which kill millions of people, but leave the capital stock untouched, result in long-term bond yields, uh, R-star, as people call it in, in academic world, R-star falls in a world where human capital is destroyed but the actual physical capital stock is untouched wars are different though wars also kill millions and millions of people um but destroy the capital stock and so as a result of that you end up with higher long-term interest rates so interesting um papers if you go and have a look at dario's work on twitter or the tenreo uh bank of england paper there's some good stuff out there about what we might see from inflation and bond yields as a result of this. I think actually Ken Rayo is talking to one of the Bank of England speakers this week. So look out for that and have good weeks, everyone. Bye.